HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by HH Bespoke Spirits, featuring HH Bespoke Gin, Rum, and Vodka. Learn more at hhbespokespirits.com. This week on Meet and 3, we continue our trade series with a piquant look at the many faces of the spice trade. From the high price tag of saffron to the ubiquity of chilies and the potential ripple effect that farmer protests in India may have on the global spice market. You know, farmers are are protesting because they feel like their lives and livelihoods are on the line. You find it in a lot of cured foods like cured meat and Parmesan cheese. Um, You also find it in ripening foods like ripe tomatoes are very high in uh, MSG. So there's sources of it all over the natural world. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Big Food Question, a podcast exploring the most urgent questions from a food industry in crisis. I'm Dylan Hoyer, a communications associate and audio producer for Heritage Radio Network. Today we're asking, how can restaurants develop online revenue streams? As the pandemic has pushed us all deeper into the virtual world, brick-and-mortar institutions have struggled to survive. Restaurants that have spent years honing the craft of hospitality have had to resort to plastic takeout containers. The magic of ambiance has been lost, and business has declined. Pivot is the word of the moment describing the myriad of ways restaurants have reimagined their business models. But not all pivots are created equal. How do we bring the brand to life in a really experiential and kind of connected and emotional way? Frankly, much more meaningful way than like, you know, food in a box, takeout and delivery. Uh, And how do we bring that to our guests outside of our four walls and conceivably service more people then we can sit in the brick and mortar restaurant. This is Sam Bernstein. I'm the co-founder and CEO of a company called Table 22. Uh, We help restaurants build, launch, and grow subscription revenue streams for their fans and guests. On Table 22's website, more than 100 restaurants in 25 cities have crafted subscription plans featuring monthly deliveries of cocktails, wines, cheeses, homemade pastas, and more. Consumers are actually excited to pay a premium for the sort of like emotional, you know, connectedness that our restaurants are 
you know, putting into the experiences and the boxes. With Table 22, Sam has tried to create an exchange that is more than just transactional. He aims to bring the same curation and connection eaters are used to experiencing at a restaurant into their own homes. He uses Huertas, an NYC Bosque-inspired restaurant, as an example of how chef and owner Jonah Miller has brought personality and warmth to his subscription. You know, it's conservas and cheeses and Iberian wines, and he just really does an amazing job of kind of bringing his, you know, particular perspective and lived experience and expertise and sort of like the story of the why to life in those things. And so every month to his subscribers, he sends this amazing, like beautifully written and sort of thoughtfully conceived email where he talks about, hey, here's how I selected you know, these cheeses, and here's a little bit of a story of the producer. And, you know, I visited this farm when I was on a trip to Spain and, you know, tasted the goat cheese in 2013. And, you know, that's where I, I went on my first international trip with my wife and I'm making stuff up. But, you know, you, you sort of get the sense for like, he's really bringing the why to life in these products. Here's Jonah Miller himself. First restaurant in Manhattan, second restaurant in New York to be on Table 22's platform. He was quick to explore online revenue streams when reopening his restaurant. But not all of his efforts were fruitful. You know, one of the things that we did when we reopened in July, uh, after being closed for the, the first several months of the pandemic, was, you know, try to push as much delivery and takeout directly through our website as possible. And we had some success with that, but... Um, you know, it's, it's not the easiest growth there. I think a lot of, you know, most consumers when they're thinking about takeout are heading to a website that has lots of options. They don't necessarily have a particular restaurant in mind already. He has also offered up his time and culinary talent in other ways. I have taught, I don't know, maybe about 60 or 70 classes in the past several months. Um, and uh, many of those are booked directly through, through Huertas, through our website, but um, most of them have been through a third party, a company called Abital Tours that used to bring food tour groups to the restaurant um, as part of a, a kind of multi-restaurant um, tasting menu or meal. So rather than having guests come to us, we're now joining them. Um, you know, I join them a couple times a week usually and, and teach cooking classes and they'll send ingredients out um, to participants. And of course, he launched Huerta's subscription service. Our reasons for joining Table 22 at first were, you know, certainly to help drive revenue. And to be honest, when we first signed up, I didn't see it as, um, as something that would be particularly meaningful, but it was low risk. So we gave it a try. But, you know, we've seen our, um, our membership really increase at a steady rate over these past uh, six months or so. And now it has become meaningful um, from a bottom line standpoint. Huertas is currently closed for restaurant service during the winter months. Reaching customers through retail offerings can be essential during this slow time without incurring many additional expenses. It's a different beast because the sales are baked in and pre-purchased. So while we're still in the midst of this pandemic, restaurants like us have been forced to kind of, uh, you know, strip down our menus a little bit and, and simplify what we're doing to you know, work with leaner crews and, and avoid waste and, and just manage, um, you know, sort of the, uh, the new normal but with these subscriptions, we know we can bring in special products just for these boxes because they're pre-sold. Jonah plans to keep his subscription offerings intact when Huertas reopens. In the warmer months, the role of online revenue will shift 
but remain important. When we get back to some semblance of, of normalcy, it will still be a small fraction of, hopefully, of our top line sales because the restaurant will be busy again. But the margins and model are such that, you know, it will continue to have a big impact on our bottom line. Um, you know, restaurants are, are famously very low margin businesses. Um, so if you're making 10 10 cents on the dollar, you're sort of doing things right. Um, and, you know, full disclosure, our margins are better on Table 22 because it's essentially a retail business um, with no waste. So uh, when we are open again and when things are a bit, uh, a bit more steady in the restaurant, you know, it'll, it'll be a new opportunity for us to market this you know, within the four walls of Huertas and to, to drop postcards on tables with checks uh, that, that talk about the subscriptions and have our servers talk to tables about it. When operating a sit-down restaurant is once again viable, there will still be incentives for restaurants to do business online. And it's obviously no secret that restaurants do not run on on high margins. And so one of the things that I think we've been excited about with Table 22 is that these programs are typically running at a 30 plus percent margin for our restaurant partners and you know sometimes up to 50. With Table 22, Sam is tackling a bigger problem than the current pandemic presents for restaurants. He's bringing hospitality to people's homes while also diversifying revenue streams and expanding profit margins for restaurants. I had a lot of conversations with really exceptional operators early on. Folks like Sean Feeney, who talked about, you know, many of the problems that the pandemic had laid bare were not created by it, but, but just sort of accelerated by it. After the break, we'll dive deeper into what these problems are and why Sam believes online revenue streams for restaurants are here to stay. This episode is brought to you by HH Bespoke Spirits. The award-winning and critically acclaimed Tailored Spirit Collection features HH Bespoke Gin, Rum, and Vodka. The Black-owned, fashionable portfolio is a lifestyle brand extension to fashion and retail companies, 5001 Flavors, and Harlem Haberdashery. HH Bespoke Spirits is available for sale and to ship nationwide. Learn more at hhbespokespirits.com. Welcome back to The Big Food Question. I'm Dylan Hoyer. Today we're asking, how can restaurants develop digital revenue streams? And how may services like online subscriptions continue to shape the hospitality industry after the pandemic is over? When Blue Apron IPO'd, I don't know, five years ago, uh, something like 2% of food sales were happening online. And that's obviously a trend that's continued to accelerate. But I think the top-down view is, you know, the pandemic has pulled forward a lot of the move to e-commerce that was already going to happen just over a longer period of time. And it's just sort of made it happen faster. Food delivery is an e-commerce sector that has skyrocketed during the pandemic, but one that quickly swallows up the profits those online orders bring in for restaurants. The reality is a lot of restaurants feel like the delivery apps have just kind of put them into a really uncomfortable position where, you know, regulars are now ordering through the delivery apps. And I think fairly, restaurants are asking, like, why do I want to give up 30% of my margin on orders from my regulars? To avoid these fees... Many restaurants have developed their own delivery programs using services like Square or Chow Now. Some cities have enacted policies to cap delivery fees. Until indoor dining returns, the New York City Council has limited delivery companies from charging more than 15% in commission 
and an additional 5% for charges like credit card processing fees. But 20% is still a huge percentage for an industry with razor-thin margins, making this model ultimately unsustainable. You know, the lack of diversified revenue streams in restaurants is an exciting problem to help be solved and one that can help them have more sustainable businesses. Not only are restaurants expanding beyond their four walls, but Sam has created an additional avenue for increasing online revenue. By changing the model and the margins, Sam believes restaurants can change their relationship with third-party platforms like Table 22. We take what we think is a really fair fee from restaurants, which is 10% of the subscription revenue that they generate. And I think, you know, between the growth that we drive for the programs, which is like 30% a month, and the margin profile that we help them sort of structure it to run at, that 10% pays for itself very quickly. And we, we sleep well at night, I think, uh, you know, with, with the arrangement that we have with our partners. Allowing restaurants to offer retail is the biggest factor driving Table 22's margins. But it isn't the only thing differentiating their approach from third-party delivery services. Table 22's main goal isn't to attract the enormous audience of people who are hungry for dinner each night. What we're doing is really the inverse, which is, hey, let's find your biggest and most ardent kind of loyalist fans and customers. Let's formalize, you know, if if anyone who's read Danny Meyer's book, like the whole business is, can you get a meaningful enough cohort of your customers to come in 12 times a year? Like regulars are the business. And so I think our whole thing is like, can we help restaurants kind of structure and formalize those regular and patronage relationships and grow wallet share ultimately with those people who are big fans of of the place. And I think the most exciting thing is we also hear from our restaurants anecdotally that subscribers, Table 22 subscribers to the restaurant are also coming in and spending a lot of incremental dollars on and off premise. And so these subscriptions don't compete with sort of the core four-wall dining business. They're, you know, additive to it. Here's Jonah Miller from the restaurant Huertas again. Not surprisingly, most of our subscribers are folks who have been to the restaurant before and, and we're already fans, but um, it's news to me. We have all these fans who, you know, started coming to the restaurant three or four or five years ago and have moved since then. Um, so now they may be living in San Francisco or North Carolina, but we can send things their way each month. The growth of Table 22's subscription service is centered on loyalty. The restaurant has a greater stake in the transaction than they do on a delivery app. Because consumers aren't scrolling endlessly to satiate their appetites. They're seeking a particular experience. Restaurants can rely on their own mailing lists to engage potential subscribers and benefit from having access to data about who signs up. They've built out, a, a, at this point, a pretty simple backend that's basically just like shared Google Sheets. And, you know, we have month-to-month subscriber lists and uh, have everything except their billing information. So... Um, They've been very transparent with us. With their software, Table 22 is granting restaurants the ability to maintain autonomy over their subscription program and their subscribers without managing the program themselves. Here's Sam Bernstein. When you have hundreds of subscribers in a program and you're one person running it at a restaurant and you need to kind of clearly, you know, communicate with folks about when product is coming, what's in this month's box, you know, if it's a pickup, you know, you know, have people schedule times to come in and pick stuff up. I mean, we've kind of automated like a lot of these flows. And so, you know, ideally we want to make it 
you know, the least frictionful experience possible for the restaurants to be kind of running the program. And what that means for our product is taking on a lot of the heavy lifting of like the actual running of the thing. By overseeing the back end of the program, Table 22 gains insight that is beneficial to all their restaurant partners. We're also, you know, bringing a lot of data to the table about, hey, on an ongoing basis, like how do we, uh, you know, keep the program growing at a really high rate? Is it in, you know, leaning into particular marketing channels? Is it in leaning into particular offering types that are performing, you know, disproportionately well? Like we have this perch from which we're observing the performance of, you know, I said more than 100 restaurants around the country uh, with different offering types and price points and delivery versus pickup versus shipping. And so we're seeing data and we're really focused on kind of obtaining and synthesizing, you know, learnings about what's effective from a first principles perspective. And then I think what we want to do is try to map our understanding of what's successful to the sort of DNA and like authentic brand and core competencies of any particular restaurant. Patrons and operators await eagerly for indoor dining to resume. But a return to the way things were before isn't on the menu for many in the restaurant industry. That's the broader, you know, unlock that I think we're seeing restaurants achieve with with Table 22. And um, I think that's going to continue to be a bigger and bigger part of the model. The pandemic has put long-standing issues into focus. Table 22 is one solution that has emerged to meet restaurants' most pressing needs. But this industry will not be rebuilt with a silver bullet. Table 22 is not the culmination of this industry's issues. It is more likely the start of emerging solutions for reimagining what restaurants can be. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Big Food Question wherever you get your podcasts. Check back often as we address critical questions for eaters, operators, and workers across food topics and business sectors. If you have questions you'd like the show to answer, email us at question at heritageradionetwork.org. Special thanks for this episode to Sam Bernstein and Jonah Miller. The Big Food Question is produced by Katie Mosman-Wadler, Kat Johnson, Hannah Forden, Dylan Hoyer, Matt Patterson, and Luke Griffin. This episode's executive producer was me, Dylan Hoyer. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. The Big Food Question is powered by Simplecast. The content of this series is provided for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. You should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this content. This project is funded in part by a Humanities New York CARES grant with support from the National Endowment from the Humanities and the Federal CARES Act. This program is also supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. The Big Food Question is a production of Heritage Radio Network the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio.